You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Kelly Nicole Gerard, founder of the Fire This Time Festival, on You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm actually so curious from your point of view, like, you know, for, you know, all the, the amount of time you've been in this industry, like, and I think we talked about this a little bit whenever we were having dinner after the, um, after the show, but, you know, have you, have you seen progress? Do you feel like you've seen any real progress? And if so, like where? I think there's definitely progress. I mean, we certainly have more of us in artistic director positions. There's more of our work being shown. Um, what I don't see, um, and, and it's not just an American theater, it's an American thing. There's still uh, a love of everything British. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the British playwrights, the British actors um, are still being uplifted over our American ones. Um, I find that the when I go and do master classes at universities, um, the black students, their blackness is being uh, taught out of them. Mm. You know, they're being uh, turned into kind of neutered uh, black people. So there's a, a kind of authentic power and fire and energy that <clears throat> I don't see in the actors that are American that come out, whereas a British actor can come over here and they can have all that fire mm-hmm, and they can flip mm-hmm. all their accents and they'll get celebrated for that. Our black actors have to be a, a certain kind of vanilla, neutral that we're going to be comfortable with. I think that my career was made on being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just stopped interesting me, particularly after uh, you know Zimmerman got acquitted. It was like, for me, I was like, I'm not going to, spend any more of my time trying to make white people comfortable anymore. Not going to do it. Um, it's, 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 it's killing people. Yeah. <laughs> it's killing people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's progress. There's just lots more to be made. Lots, lots more to be made. And as Joaquin Phoenix said at the BAFTA Awards, the people who have the privilege have to dismantle it. Mm-hmm. It is their job to give up that which they have and to circulate it. And that circulation really is predicated on this, for me, on an understanding that this is really an infinite universe. Mm-hmm. There is enough, more than enough, for every one of us to have uh, everything yeah. we want. Everything we want. A hundred percent. Capitalism can't run on that. But yeah. the reality is there is enough for everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I got nothing to say to that because it's true. Let's <laughs> do a mic drop on that. Um, yeah. So here's a hard thing mm-hmm. I want to talk about. It's, it's this very challenging thing that happens between black theaters, black, white theaters, black culture, white culture, which is like an experience I've had. And it's always so awkward and it's so sad for me. Like, you know, white theaters have resources and they can do all these things yeah. and black theaters don't. And so they're scraping by and everything's last minute. And so this happens to me a lot. White theaters will offer me a job. Black theaters will ask me to come and audition. And I'm like, huh? Mm-hmm. What? 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 What is that? What is that? I, you know, I mean, I, I, I honest to God, wish I could speak to that, Tanya. I'm not even, because you know, I've never, uh, be, because with the fire this time, we just ask. We just ask. Like, I mean, we've. I, I, so I your mean, theater just also, doesn't do that. It's all asks anyway. Yeah, I mean, because. Um, you know, we had, for the longest time, Kevin R. Free was our artistic director. 
and he has access to like everybody. So Kevin would just he said I, he would say I know who's right for this. I'm just going to ask. Um, but uh, so I so I, I don't even um, I can't even wrap my head around that except that um, you know I came from Louisiana, knew very little about theater, but knew about Carolina Change and knew about Tanya Pins, you know, and uh, would. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't. I, I mean, it happens to me all the time, and I and I just I often wonder, you know, I wonder about it. I go, do we not have the same sort of etiquette? Is it that white people, you know, they create lineages like royalty, and so they have this etiquette of like, like you're now in our club, and so now we do this honor to you. And black people are like, no, you need to prove it because we don't know. Because then white people like they elevate mediocrity, <laughs> so you need to come into our room and prove that you actually have the chops to do this job. Which you like, I auditioned for um, Hurt Village for Katori Hall because they didn't think I had it in me. They were like, oh, she's this Broadway diva, and I was like, I want this job. Uh huh. And I went in there and I auditioned and got that job. <laughs> so it's not. It actually isn't like I don't mind auditioning, but I have noticed how often, and particularly if it's a theater that's not going to pay. Mm. Now, please don't ask me to come audition for you. You're not going to be paying me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I do a lot of things for free. Students ask me to do films. I'm happy to pay it forward. Pay it forward. If having my name or face in your project is going to elevate it and give you another opportunity or open a door, that's my service to the world because so many people gave me those kinds of opportunities. Yeah. You're like so genuinely confused. You're like, huh, did we do that? To-? No, you won't. The I, fire, yeah, the fire this like, time did not do that to me. Well, but you, you know what? Like I have, I, I, I have, um, <laughs> I haven't been, so I've had the experience at, uh, of being at um, large nonprofits because, so when I was pregnant with my first child in 2014, um, I was actually, I, um, replaced Marjorie Moon as producing director of the Billie Holiday Theater when it was going through its transition. Um, so I was there with um, Jackie Alexander as the artistic director. And, um, you know, I, I think that one thing that I will say is that you're right, that I think that, you know, uh, black theaters, no matter their size, are always struggling more than, than, the, than the larger <coughs> uh, white theaters. You know, and I, like, I remember... Um, it was like last year. Oh my God. So like for the past couple, for the past two years, I was at the Sheen Center as a programming associate. And I was like one of two black people in the entire building, but I was the only woman and the only black person on the, the team that was making decisions about the programming. And I said to my husband, I was like, I don't know how I didn't get fired because every day I went in there and I was just on, no, I was on 15, not even on 10. I was like on 15 on a scale from 10. I'm like, are y'all serious? Why are we doing something? No, we need to get some diverse, all this stuff or whatever. But um, so I was there. We went to some uh, panel, the theater subdistrict council, and it was all about how um, all of these white, large white institutions that are well funded had gotten more funding to create a space for a black person to come in, a paid internship for a black person, <laughs> because they recognize that um, we often don't come from uh, backgrounds where we can afford to do art, right? Where For we free. Can, where we can afford to be interns and stuff. And, you know, I'm watching this panel and everyone's like, you know, it's like, you know, congratulating everyone. And I'm coming out of there and I'm scratching my head. Like, so had you not gotten the grant, you wouldn't have recognized that you need to prioritize that in order to get uh, people of color and get admins of color in the door. Like, and what's going to happen when you don't have the grant? Right. Without the grant, why would we do that? You know? Mm. And um, it, so it was just... Um, 
it was it was mind boggling to me, you know, that that yes, you know, it's like so on one hand, like the the black theater institutions, we we already have the um the the the, the challenge of um uh, of trying to to get our funding where it's supposed to be and try and trying to 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 keep up with the larger institutions right um, and don't even talk to me about the New York Times and reviews because I think that the when I was at the Billy Holiday Theater, um, Jackie Alexander's Brothers from the Bottom was I think like the first time we had, the Billy Holiday had gotten a major review from the New York Times or something ridiculous like that <clears> right <throat> which I'm just like. That's a big theater too. Mm-hmm. Why is it? You, you, but whatever. And you're, you're gonna have to keep me on track, Tanya, because I do this. I just like I'm, I'm gonna go on tangents. And now I think I just lost myself where I was. But um, but you know we so we have the, the challenge of trying to, you know, to 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 maintain our funding and maintain our sustainability, and bring in the next generation. <laughs> Of art makers, right at every level, <clears throat> right at the admin level, and and many times, like I I end up mentoring a lot of young kids, um, whether they're actors or playwrights or whatever it is, or they're producers or they want to be in it, to the point where like I'll, I'll get a text and someone's like, oh, can you just really talk to this person? And I'm like, I'm I'm tired, but yeah, I've got to yeah, do that's it. That's how we pay it forward. I've got to do it. So you know. Um, and and I don't know how to crack that one. To, if I to, to be but totally I, I think honest, we, that's what we have to do. I think that that is culturally what I'm saying. I think that that's what white culture does. Like you get the internship with your father's friends, this, and they bring everybody in, and like there's this these doors that are open. And I and 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 my experience is those doors for me as a black artist in my black culture art were not opened. My first time at the National Black Theater Festival, I'd never, ever been invited there. Not as a guest ever. A girlfriend of mine was producing a play and someone fell out. She needed an extra, like someone to be a character off stage, Mm. an off stage voice. And I I was a Tony Award winner. And this is my girlfriend. I was like, but I get to go to the National Black Theater Festival. Okay, I will be your off stage character to Uh. go to the National Black Theater Festival. For me, because that's what it meant to me. I was so excited. Sure, could I have like paid and gone down and visited? But it was like, you know, I'm a Tony Award winner. There aren't a lot of us. Why don't I get invited? It it was kind of a hurt. But when my I had the opportunity to go as an extra in a play, a supernumerary, I was like, I'm in it. And and you know, since then I've gone down. But so it's like, it's something I don't understand about us because that's not a uh a money thing and I think sometimes our our art organizations try to invite the very wealthy um you know famous movie star actors and yes they will come but they're not given money you know Mm -hmm. we have enough black famous people who could endow the National Black Theater or endow Fire This Time or Harlem Night they're not endowing them Mm -hmm. they'll come down and get the award and be celebrated and honored but so you know you know, that's my little pet peeve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, it's... Because uh, I figure if it's happening to me, it's happening to other artists who really do want to be honored by their community. Do you know what I mean? And you feel like, do they think I'm a sellout because I only work in the commercial theater? I really, you know, you want to be celebrated by other people who look like you. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if it's just a question of them... Thinking I'd say no? Ac- yeah. Maybe, or, or, or like a question of access, like, you know, it's like, oh, c- because I also feel like there's, you know, um, because there have been so many artists who have come through the fire this time, like, I mean, and I, I love Dominique Mariso. oh my God, she is such an angel, like, she is, anything you ask Dominique to do, if she, she will try her best, C- Camilla Forbes is the same way, like, she will try her best, like, but if she can't do it, 
she'll like, she'll say like, I really, you know, I tried, I'm not going to be able to, but she'll always get back to you. And I feel like it's that thing that like once, um, an artist of color hits, they work all the time. They're working all good. the time. Which is good. So you just, like, I, we could not get a director for the fire this time this year. I got, everyone was working. Ebony, we, Ebony Noel Golden, who ended up um, directing, she said, she's like, if you guys had asked me two days later, I would have already said yes to something else. Mm. And I was like, so it's awesome. Everybody's working. Um, so, but I think that that's what it, because like, you know, that like, because when we work, because there's such a, I'm, and I'm doing air quotes, I have to say, <sighs> do it. there's such a scarcity of us that right. like, whenever, when we do get on, like we're just on, you know? Well, one person says the theory is that all the actors who were on in New York off Broadway for one season, like when the next season of television comes, that's the list that they call as if those are the only black actors that you, you had to have been on on or off Broadway in the last season, and then you're going to get all the TV and film auditions. And yes, those people do work all the time, but that is such a small pool of the the, the number of people who are available to do the work. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know, but you know, I'm never going to ask you to audition for me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> nope. I just, some I just of your colleagues do you regularly can... <laughs> send me emails asking me to audition. For them. They don't even call me. I'm like, you know me. Why are you sending me an email asking me to audition? Well, <laughs> I, it, it, one, one of those mysteries to me. But <laughs> I, I just sometimes feel like, do I need to go give an etiquette class to my black theater people so that they understand that there's certain people you don't ask to audition. You ask them to do the job and then they're going to do it because they want to give of themselves to your work and support it. Yeah. And yeah. that I always, you know, I wonder about it. I wonder about it. And is it, is it a lesson? Like, you know, people give me the privilege of doing things and then I'm just in gratitude about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I wonder, are people not getting that lesson? I, I see it with young people coming up. I wanted to give a young student an opportunity. Um, I wanted to just give her an opportunity because I just, I got enthusiastic about her Mm -hmm. and she's, you know, a Gen Z and she started treating it like it was a job rather than an opportunity and asking for this and that and that. And like, you don't have a, you don't have a track record. You, I was like, I'm t-. and I was just like, I, I can't, I can't want something for you more than you want it for yourself that you're, 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 you're missing the we and the they of this mm. business, which is their jobs that we do for them, that they pay us a lot of money because they have a lot of money. So they got to give it to us. And then there's the things we do for us mm-hmm. because we want to keep doing the things we love and we want to do it with the people we love and we want to get that in the world. And that is a real thing that artists have to understand the we and the they of this business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, I think over the years, any, Anyone who has emailed me and said, oh, Kelly, some, somebody said that I should meet you. Can we get coffee? I'd love to pick your brain. And I say, you can come down to the festival. I said, come down to the festival, you know, you, because there, you have got to be, you need to, there needs to be a commitment to the community aspect. Now, and, and I don't care, whatever your community is, black, white, whatever, you know, um, because so much of that is about our community. And I think that, you know, um, you can you can easily forget that in a in a in a I mean now I mean it's like I I I don't really do social media that much I mean it's not I'm not because I didn't grow up with it I I just like find it incredibly uh one of the thing I got to do right um but you know it's like uh it can it can feel even more now that the things that we do are individual endeavors and um and you really cannot uh 
succeed without your relationships and your community, particularly in this in this business. Yeah, this is a collaborative business. And that is. and that also it's like you know like sincerity cannot be faked. Like you know if you're like I, I I'm just like if you're if you're coming and your your main thing is to to get something and to get out, I can see that from hundred. I'm not. I can't do that for you. I'm not the one. You know. So I think, like you know, to to your point, that the 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 recognition that there's there's something bigger. You need to you need to be able to see the bigger picture of this. You know. And that's really anybody like any any of the kids who come to me for I say like mentor as if like I've been doing this shit for so long. You know. But I mean, I've been in it for like eleven years. So I can say the things that I have found important to me. And I say, I say to, you know, the young kids just come out of school and they're like, oh, but I'm not getting this yet and I'm not getting that yet. And I'm like, you know what? Success is you having peace with yourself no matter where you are. <sighs> I'm like, you need to work on that. I'm like, those other things are going to come at some point, maybe today, maybe five years from now. And then you might be on for five years and not on for five years. That says, but if like, if you don't have that comfort and that community and that peace you build around yourself, it's like, you're never going to, it's, you're never going to have success because it's always going to be about what is the next thing that's coming. You know? I mean, it's like, I, you know, it's like the farthest time for me. I mean, that is like more exciting than Christmas morning. I'm mm. like, oh shit. If farthest time's coming on, I was like, I'm ready to get, I'm like, y'all crank up the music. <laughs> just like, it makes me so happy that like, that I have that and that we have that, you know? And it won an Obie Award in? In tw- 2015, like three months after my daughter was born. 2015. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which was so exciting. Yes. You know? But yeah, yeah. So what is next for Kelly Gerard? So what is next? So um, I am finally getting back into my own writing and uh, having to advocate for myself is very weird because I will literally be in meetings with people and being like, oh, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to this writer. And they're like, well, aren't we talking about your work? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so last You're year- a connector. Yeah, and you know, I can't help it. I'm a I'm like, too. It's, it's funny because I was about to say, "Oh my God, Tanya, you need to talk to Jackie," because Jack, Jackie's at uh, North Carolina Black Rep now, artistic director. <laughs> I just saw Jackie the other night at the TCG gala. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, "Oh my God, y'all need to," um, but whatever. Um, so yeah, so I um, the I left the Sheen Center last June to focus more on my writing. Um, I had gotten a commission uh, from the Atlantic Theater, the Launch New Play Commission, and um, I was working on a trilogy about my family in Louisiana. So um, I had, I had j- the year, the summer prior, I'd put up a play, um, This Stretch of Montpelier, which was a, you know, kind of an ode to my, um, my grandmother, uh, Johnny Kendrick, uh, who lived in Montpelier, Louisiana. And I did that play, and then um, Atlantic... Uh, I got the launch play commission and then I decided to write the second piece in that trilogy, the faith healer about my grandfather, who was a, a traitor or a Creole Cajun faith healer and my father, who is a prominent black doctor in Louisiana. And, um, <clears throat> so did that. And then, um, Sheen center also, now here's the wonderful thing about this full circle. While I was at Sheen center, I created, <laughs> I created an, um, a, a fellowship, for new playwrights to, for us to work with new playwrights and, um, where you get, um, compensation and space for like six months to be able to work on whatever you want to work on. So when I left the Sheen Center, 
programming associate Julia Bryan was like, hey, Kelly, you want to apply for this? And I was like, sure. And sure enough, I got it. <laughs> so I'm working on the last play in my trilogy about um, my uh, the, the Great Flood of uh, Baton Rouge in 2016, where my um, parents were literally homeless. And oh. my mother, having come from extreme poverty, the trauma of your worst fear of like losing, being homeless again, have like having to go through that again. Oh um, so, um, so, you know, all happy stuff, Tanya, you know, okay. like all, okay. the, all well, the happy you know, stuff, drama, drama, but this faith healing, tell yeah. me about that faith healing. What is faith healing? So faith healing, um, in the Creole community. Uh, so, you know, Creoles and Cajuns for the most part are Catholic. If you're, um, so, uh, so faith healing combines, um, uh, the, the, the Catholic faith with, um, you know, uh, healing practice, like ancient healing practices. So, you know, like, things, give me some examples. So, um, well, so here's the, here's the wonderful thing about it is that for a lot of faith healers, uh, first of all, because their traditions, everyone's traditions are different. So, okay, let me back up for a second. In the faith healing tradition, the, the, the power to heal has to be passed down from one generation to the next. And the person who is the healer will just instinctively know who, which child is, is the person. The, the, the child may not feel like the healer, and at some point they will have to accept the gift if it's passed down to them. Um, but every healer has their own way. Of, of healing. So when I was doing, um, research for this and I was, and I mostly had to talk, you know, ask my father, like, okay, so like, what did you, you know, witness when you were kid, when you saw your father heal? And he said, well, I only ever saw him do a couple of things because healers, it was very secretive. Uh, my grandfather had a, um, a shack in the back of his house where he would see his, um, patients, see his patients. Um, so they didn't really witness a lot of it. And the prayers, because they are spontaneous, you will hardly ever find them written down. Mm. So um, I had to piece together a lot of information to find, but, you know, like, for example, my father did say that, like, my grandfather used to make um, teething necklaces for babies who were teething. Mm -hmm. Um, He used to, you know, he would say prayers and lay hands. Mm. Uh, He would use different types of herbs, things like that. Mm. But um, sometimes he wouldn't even know what the prayer was until the person came to him and it was just spontaneous Mm -hmm. and it was just about what what Mm -hmm. came. Um, and I find the interesting thing that my grandfather's generation, uh, so the way my parents met was because my uh, my mother came over with her father. She went over to my grandfather's house with her father because my grandfather, my mother's father had a cough and he needed to be healed by my father's father. And that's how my mom and dad met. Wow. And... Um, <clears throat> So, so that, so the, my grandfather's generation, they relied heavily on healers. They were very, very paranoid about doctors, very paranoid about white doctors. Oh yes. Because they um, were experimenting on us. Yes. You know, so yeah. And then you, and then you learn the history and you're like, well, no shit. Of course. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be going to that either. Um, you know, in fact, you know, my, my, my father tells me that when he was born, my, um, my grandfather was only able to go to the hospital to see him because they thought he was a white man. <gasps> I thought he was white. Otherwise, he would have never saw mm. his child right after he was born. But um, so that's the culture that they lived in. And so, so it was surprising to me that my father did not choose to go to medical school. He didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a chemist. But there was a research program that he didn't like that he applied to that he didn't get into. And he did get into medical school. So he was like, what the hell? And did his father pass the healing on to him? 
I see. I think he had to have to, even <laughs> if my even if my dad doesn't a hundred percent like know that. But um, but but so anyway, so that so so then there so then there's the 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 medical side, and now I feel like I, because I have a sis, I have two sisters who were doctors. Oh, so dad passed it down it's two passing, times. It's passing to generations. Um, I have two sisters who are doctors, and one of my sister um sisters recently just left her position in Homa as a critical care pulmonologist to return to um, to other for alternative types of healing. Uh, I think it, you're starting to see that come back a lot because I, it's, I think it's a function of just like uh, healthcare being just fucking crazy in this country and, you know, people just being like, I can't afford to pay these bills. They're finding alternate ways of, yeah. you know. And there's this resurgence of use of entheogens like mushrooms and ayahuasca. I just was in Peru on an ayahuasca retreat myself and there were a number of psychotherapists there who were talking about how their own journeys with ayahuasca had, they'd seen incredible improvements in their patients. And so mm-hmm. they were all signing up to do this MAPS training with Aya and and very much when you're when you're in the midst of an Aya journey, the the maestra is in the Shupibo tradition is looking at you, and he can see your lines, and he can see mm-hmm. when your lines are, um, you know, out of place. And they sing the songs to to straighten your lines. And there was a point for me at which I I what my experience of it is I can only describe is that there was a demon on my line mm-hmm. in my line in my ancestral line who had showed himself in the like the second uh, ceremony that we had. And then by the fourth ger- ceremony, I was c- casting that demon out and I could wow. feel other it, people in the room. There's no words being said. I could feel them doing battle with me. And the only words I had was, you know, I cast you out in the name of Jesus because that I was raised Catholic too. But I could feel other people were working with me and the sounds coming out of me and the bile coming out of me as I cast this demon out of oh my, God. my line. So I will be at Kelly's reading for Faith Healer Yay! on Monday. And it's just been so great having you here, Kelly Durant. I'm so glad we met and I hope Tanya, we can yeah. be friends and, and collaborate and create together in the future. Likewise, it was an honor. Oh, it was an honor. Yeah. And you've got roots in Louisiana too, right, Tom? I do. My family, my grandmother was from Monroe. Yeah. Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins. This is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, music by Anthony Norman, available wherever you get your podcasts. And visit me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about. For more information, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 